All right, we are in week five, continuing our series called The Greatest Sermon Ever Preached, uh, which is a series about the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preached a couple thousand years ago. Uh, Jesus came, John the Baptist was preaching, uh, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, which is basically God's going to do something awesome. So get your heart right and you'll get to be part of it. And so that was John the Baptist's message. John got put in prison. Jesus kept preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Then Jesus started doing miracles, like big miracles. And got a lot of attention because of all these miracles that were happening and all these people were following him. And once he got their attention, then he started to speak to them. And the Sermon on the Mount is the things that he said. It's the basically the encapsulation of the essential uh, you know, teachings of Christ that bring us from the Old Testament into the New Testament. And so Jesus uh, explains that Matthew five seventeen and five twenty, Jesus says, "Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them." In verse twenty four, I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So what he was saying is, I didn't come to take away God's ways, to take away the law, to remove the Ten Commandments. But guess what? Right now, we're uh, in their religious culture of their day, they were big into following the letter of the law, but missing the heart of the law. And so he's saying, your righteousness is going to have to be better than legalistic righteousness, better than following the letter of the law, but missing the heart of the law. You're going to have to get the heart of the law. That's the fulfillment of the law. And so Jesus starts to explain what that means in a variety of different contexts. Uh, He talks about do not murder. Remember, there's a commandment in there to not murder. In the Old Testament, Moses came down with the stone tablets, said, don't murder people. And Jesus says, okay, you've heard that it was said, don't murder. Well, let me tell you. you got to get that out of your heart too. You can't insult people. You can't call people fools. You have to, not only that, you have to love your enemies. And so he takes, do not murder. And the fulfillment of that is, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Isn't that a righteousness beyond just refraining from murdering people and dreaming about it, you know? It's a huge, huge step up. And then we talked about, you know, do not commit adultery. And Jesus says, you know, you've heard it said that. He says, but you can't even look. You can't even think about it. You know, no adultery in your actions. Great. But get adultery out of your mind, out of your heart. Jesus was talking about do not bear false witness that we need to let our yes be yes and our no be no. We need to be people of truth. We can't be people who are... uh, coyly deceptive we have to just be straightforward people of truth and so jesus is fulfilling the law last week we talked about uh jesus discussion of doing acts of righteousness like giving and prayer and fasting and how we can give in order to get other people to think we're cool or we can pray or sing out during worship or whatever in ways that we think are going to get other people to think more highly of us. But that's just pretense. That's just putting on airs. And Jesus says, if you do that, you've received your reward in full. 
But if you go into your closet and pray, then your father who sees what is unseen will reward you. And so we want to grab hold of the things of God. And sometimes you you do things and there's other people around. And so like if you pray in a small group, uh, get used to praying just you and God, and then it'll be less distracting having other people around. You know what I mean? Like you can be self-conscious when you pray. What if I, you know, like I won't do this, of course, but let's say if I just called on random people to come up and lead a prayer for the congregation, what would you be thinking about? You don't, don't want to sound stupid, want to say the right thing. What am I supposed to do? You know, because you're worried about what other people are going to hear, right? And so what Jesus is saying is don't worry about what other people are going to hear. You connect with God. And so if you do that just one-on-one, you and God, you pray about what to give one-on-one, you and God, Uh, then when other people are noticing, it's a lot easier to do because you won't be so self-conscious. You can just go back to what you're used to and try to ignore what other people are are noticing. And so we want to be able to accept the rewards from God because we're connecting with God in the right ways. And we finished last week with the Lord's Prayer. And just talking about the the five basic categories that Jesus uh, uses in the Lord's Prayer. Praying in reverent submission. The first two categories. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Reverence. Not flippantly addressing God, but reverently understanding that we are truly coming into the presence of God. Did you know God can hear you? If you could see him when you were praying, would you pray different? (laughs) Our Father who art in heaven, you are holy. And reverent submission, your will be done. Most people pray, God, my will be done. Please do my will. Here's the things I want you to do for me. We don't pray, my will be done. We pray, thy will be done. Here on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. Reverent submission. And then the things Jesus prayed for in the Sermon on the Mount. For provision. Give us this day our daily bread. For righteousness. Forgive us our sins. And for protection. Lead us not into temptation. So praying in reverent submission. For provision, righteousness, and protection. That's all good stuff. There's lots of other ways to pray. Other things to pray for. Other ways to uh, dwell in the presence of God, abide in the vine, but that's what we covered last week. This week we're going to jump into new material, uh, the rest of Matthew chapter 6, the title of the sermon, If Your Eyes Are Good. Let's pray and see what the Lord has for us this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your holy scriptures. I thank you, Lord, for your truth. I thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, that you don't leave us down here to just wander around, do the best we can, but you guide us by your spirit and you guide us by your word. Father, help us to see what you've got for us today. Help us to grab hold of your truth. Each one of us is fighting different parts of the battle. We're going through different things. And Lord, I just pray that by your spirit, you would touch each one of us with what we need so that we can trust you more, believe in you better, and serve you more effectively. Lord, help us to take a step up today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If your eyes are good. So, we're going to cover a few different topics in the last half of Matthew chapter 6. These all kind of fit together. Uh, and so, let's, uh, 
Let's jump into Matthew 6, 22 and 23. This is kind of the key verses for the whole uh, morning here. And we'll, we'll kind of weave in and out looking at these verses, getting an idea of what they are and how to apply them to the other things in the rest of the chapter. Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So what he's saying here is how we see things. You know how different people see things differently? How we see things is very important. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So there is to be light in us. There is to be something inside of us. And Jesus says, if that thing in there is dark... That's a bad deal. How great is that darkness? And so this is much, much deeper than the optimist-pessimist concept, but it's kind of along those lines. You know, is the glass half full or is the glass half empty? You know, some people look at situations there and they're always finding the positive. You know, some people just naturally notice the things that are funny and so they laugh a lot. Other people notice the things that are ugly and yucky and are problems and so they're always concerned and worried about stuff and have, you know, conflicts and different things like that. And so what we see is very, very important. If our eyes are good then our whole body will be full of light. Now, this is the battle, isn't it? How we see the world, how we see things, how we understand what's going on, our mentality, how we interpret reality, this is the battle. If we can interpret things the right ways, then we're going to be going down the right road. If we interpret things the wrong ways, then we're going to be missing the things of God. Um, Let me just give a couple of church examples. Uh, You know how sometimes you're coming to church and a bunch of bad things will happen and the family will get in a big fight in the car on the way to church, you know, and all these sorts of things. And if you notice that, all right, that's good. I'm like, oh no, it's only me. Uh, But uh, the... uh, There's a tax. You know, the enemy doesn't want us connecting with each other, connecting with God. And so uh, when we're getting ready for church, sometimes there will be these disasters that happen. You know, like the sound system will quit or whatever. You know, these different things will go on. And so years ago, uh, it's like we're just on a, a thread, just trying to get things to work. And then when things would fall apart, well, now you're done, you know. And how are you gonna how are you going to handle that? And uh, it became uh, clear to me that when we're trying to do church and these weird things happen, that that's an attack of the enemy. And so why would the enemy attack? Because something good's going to happen, right? That's why the enemy would attack. So if, if the enemy sees what we're doing as something worth attacking, then something good's going to happen. Well, who cares if the sound system works or not? God's going to do something good. He doesn't need a sound system. Who cares if the power is out or there's a blizzard or somebody is sick and can't come or what? Who cares? If these attacks are happening, if these problems are coming, well, guess what? God must have something especially good for us today. 
And so whenever these weird things would happen, our faith would increase. And we'd be like, oh, great. God's got something extra special for us today. And then you know what started to happen after we started interpreting these things as a great sign that God had something good? The attack started to diminish. Less things started to happen because they had the opposite effect. We, I saw it, the people on the inside saw it as a great sign that God was going to do something good. And so instead of being full of anxiety and fear, we're like, sweet, God's going to do something good today. And it changed everything. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. Have you ever done something wrong because you were paying attention to what other people were supposed to be doing and not paying attention to what you were supposed to be doing? Have you ever done that? I've done that right here playing the guitar. And I'm worrying about what some other band member is supposed to be doing and then I hit the wrong chord. You know, because I'm not paying attention to what I'm doing. Right? So if I just thought, well, I've got no control over that. We're in the middle of the song. I'm going to do my thing right. And then you just do your thing right. It all works out. Because they don't make the mistake, but then you do. Because you're worrying about them. You know, these sorts of ways of understanding and interpreting the world and seeing things are vitally, vitally important. So how do you see faith? How do you see church? How do you see people who disagree with you? Relationships, opportunities, family. How do you see all these different things? How do you see the Bible? How do you see prayer? Do you see with eyes that are good that make your whole body full of light? Or do you see these things tainted or in in different ways? I think when Jesus is saying the eye is the lamp of the body, it's essentially the same thing, only a little simpler version of Romans 12 too. The Apostle Paul says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So don't conform to the pattern of this world. Don't see things like this world see things. Don't have the mentality of the world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of the mind. See things differently. Have a different mentality. And if we can grab hold of a godly mentality, if we can interpret the world through God's eyes, then we win the battle. Amen? If we interpret our family members, our co-workers, our fellow students, whoever, through God's lens, we win the battle. And so let's look at Matthew chapter 6, these other parts uh, of this uh, sermon in this chapter. How should we see treasure? Is treasure good? Treasure is good. I like, tre- I like treasure. <laughs> How should we see treasure? Matthew 6, 19 and 20. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Does Jesus want us to store up treasures? Some kinds he does. And so he wants us to have treasures that are uncorruptible. 
He doesn't want us to put our hope in things that are going to let us down. He wants us to put our hope in things that are solid for eternity. How many people have run into trouble because of how they see money and how money competes with God for their hearts? How many people have run into trouble because of how they see money and how money competes with God in their hearts? God wants you to store up good treasures. Now, resurrection life is forever. Amen? There are lots of things that go on in this world. If we know that we're standing on a firm foundation, we have an inheritance in the kingdom of God, then the trials of this life start to fade. They become less important. Now, don't get bored with the fact that the believer in Christ gets to live forever in the paradise of God. You know, you've heard that before probably, right? Don't let that fade in the background of your mentality and not see it anymore. And be too worried about your daily circumstances. And oh no, everything's terrible. Everything's terrible for somebody who's going to live forever in the paradise of God? How can everything be terrible for you? It's not that bad. You know, there can be really, really harsh things we go through, but we're going through them on our way to eternity. And so we need to be aware of that. We need to see that. We need to have that light in us. So the treasures of this life will come and go. We need to be sure of that. If you trust in wealth, health, abilities, looks, popularity, power, accomplishments, or whatever, understand that those things will eventually let you down. They'll eventually fade away. Amen? Does that mean we should ignore our health? No, absolutely not. We should take care of ourselves. We should make sure that we're being diligent in how we uh, live this life. All of these things are beneficial unless used for evil or unless they usurp God. These things like wealth, health, abilities, looks, popularity, power, accomplishments. Those are good things if used the right way. Amen? I heard one preacher one time say, money makes an evil master, but a great servant. Do you know money can create orphanages? Money can build churches? Money can make ministries happen? It's a good servant. It's an evil master. Popularity is a good servant. Horrible master. Horrible master. Worrying about what other people think and how many people like you is a horrible master. But hey, if you've got a network that can help you out and, and allow things to, to work smoothly and get accomplished, fantastic. That's good. These things are evil masters, but great servants. So let's look at how uh, money can compete with God in our hearts. Matthew 6, 21, and then verse 24. 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus is saying, what you fight to get shows what you care about in your heart. 
If you're willing to sacrifice and fight and claw so you can get that possession, that possession is very important to you. If you're willing to sacrifice and fight and claw so that you can finally get a vibrant prayer life, then prayer is important to you. It's a treasure to you. Where your treasure is, you'll find your heart there. So that's how you can see where your heart is. Look at your treasure. Then there's the eyes, lamp of the body part, sandwiched between these two verses. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So can you serve two masters? Jesus says no. So if we have eyes that are good, we'll quit trying to serve two masters. Amen? Or we'll quit trying to have Jesus as the secondary master underneath another one. Like what people think of me. If that's your primary God and Jesus is second, you're going to have a hard life because you're going to push Jesus away so that you can try to get people to like you better, you know, but it's not going to work anyway. If you have money as your master and Jesus secondary, you're going to put Jesus away so that you can chase after money. Don't try to serve two masters. Serve one and serve the Lord. Because the good news is, if we serve the Lord, He adds these other things unto us as well. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit. So, as we read these verses, it's important to understand this is not a call to poverty. Amen? Do you know money doesn't buy happiness? Poverty doesn't buy happiness either. You know what I mean? Like you're not just, oh great, I'm set, no worries now, I'm, I'm completely broke. You know, that doesn't... That doesn't help. Uh, What this is, you know, if we're going to see these things with the right eyes, it isn't a call to poverty. It's a call to turn our hearts toward heaven. It's a call for us to trust in God, not to trust in money, to trust in God, not to trust in our friends, to trust in God, not to trust in our abilities and our accomplishments, but to trust in God. That's what this is a call for. That's what Jesus is looking for us to do. Not doing too bad. Praise God. You want to know how you can tell if uh, money is more important to you than God? If the topic of tithing is particularly irritating. (laughs) If that topic is particularly irritating, then you cannot serve both God and money. Just go home and work on that yourself. Right. <laughs> now, with all of these things that we've listed, this, you know, this list of, of money, health, abilities, looks, popularity, power, accomplishments, all of these things, and there can be a myriad of other false gods, things that our hearts go after besides God, uh, all of these things, you don't have to have those things for them for, for you to love them. You know what I mean? Like you don't have to have money for you to love money. In fact, a lot of times if you don't have any money, money controls your life, right? Because you don't have any. So you always have to think about money because you, don't, you can't make life work. But if you have money, then you don't have to think about it because you can pay the bill. And you don't have to worry. And so money makes an evil master, but a great servant. And if you don't have it, oftentimes our coveting of these things becomes very strong. So like if you don't have friends, you might crave popularity. 
If you don't have, uh, let's say you want to be a, a, a movie star, but you're a terrible actor, you know, you may crave that ability and covet that ability and really, really want it and give anything for it, but you don't have it. You don't have to have these things to love these things. And so uh, as we understand these things don't bring us into uh, a better place, we just need to trust in God. We can have the right eyes. We want to grab hold of the good things of God. Let's look at Jesus now transitions into worry. Matthew 6, 25. So why would we love money more than God? Because money gives us a sense of security. Why would we love popularity more than God? Because having a big friend group of people that care about us gives us a sense of security. You know, why would we love accomplishments? I won the game more than God, because it gives us a sense of value, a security. I'm someone important now. I've done the right thing. Jesus transitions into worry. What gives us security? Spoiler alert. God gives us security. (laughs) Take care of your body, but your health someday is going to dwindle. Take care of your financial life. At some point, money isn't going to do you any good. Be friendly. Build a friend group. At some point, nobody's going to be able to help you. We live and we fade. But there's something that is forever. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Okay, so does this mean, great, triple bacon, triple bacon sandwich every day? You know, I don't have to worry about it. No, be smart, be diligent. You know, the the Bible says, why die before your time? Don't do dumb things that take you out before your time. You know, live your years. (laughs) Don't die before your time. So there's a difference between anxiety and then just proper diligence, right? Doing the right thing. You know, save for retirement, Oh, Jesus said, don't worry, so I'm not going to save anything. I'm going to spend it all. I'm going to, you know, put a bunch of stuff on the credit cards and maybe Jesus will come before they're due, you know. Uh, that's not, that's not, don't worry. But he's saying, if we have all these anxieties, it doesn't help us. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? 
For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Wait a minute, let's, go, let's stay at that one, I'm sorry. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So, is it wrong for you to want to have your financial world working well? No. God knows that you need to eat, that you need to have clothes, that you need to have, you know, He knows that. He's not against that. What he doesn't want is to be competing with that. Instead, God wants to be God and he wants to be able to add these things to us. Verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. This is the most important thing that we need to see clearly. Lots of people think, if only I could set God over here and then go enjoy my life. What you go and you run after those things and things fall apart and causes all kinds of pain. And, you know, some people, uh, you know, who are lovers of money and ignorers of God can have a pretty decent few years. You know what I mean? Like it can go really well for them for a while. But it always fades. There isn't any rich man from the 1800s that right now is going, yep, sure am glad I ignored God for money. There isn't a single one. And there won't be anyone in today's world that's going to think that a hundred years from now. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things. Isn't that amazing? This isn't a get rid of all those things. It's a seek God first and all these things will be given to you as well. Isn't that profound? God isn't wanting to take away these things. He's wanting to be first so that those things are servants and not masters in our lives. We don't want pride to be a master. We don't want our abilities, our skills, these things to master us. We want to grab hold of the good things of God and know God, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and these things are added to us as well. Verse 34, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Amen? So do, do the today stuff you need to do today. Some of the today stuff is, make sure you're saving for retirement. Amen? Even though that's a tomorrow thing, it's a today thing, because you don't get to save for retirement after you retire. You have to do that now. So it's a today thing. Eating your vegetables is a today thing. You feel healthy, that's great. Eat your vegetables. You don't get yourself in a position where you're setting yourself up for success. What uses up your mental energy? When you're trying to get to sleep at night and you can't sleep, what are you thinking about? (laughs) Too many different things. There's all these things. When we examine what uses up our mental energy, we are able to see the eyes that we're looking at the world through. What frustrates us? What do we wish we had that we don't have? What do we think is wrong with the world? It shows us the eyes that we see through. If our eyes are good, our whole body will be full of light. If our eyes are bad, our whole body will be full of darkness. And if the light within us is darkness, how great is that darkness? 
What uses up your mental energy? It's all about how we see the world. Again, when Jesus is saying, don't worry, it's not a call to irresponsibility. It's a call to peace of mind. Isn't that a nice call, to be called to peace of mind? To be called to a secure foundation. I'm going to invite the prayer teams up. We're going to close here in just a minute. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. How do we seek first His kingdom and His righteousness? You know, when we talk about uh, being able to see things with God's eyes, I've known people who think they're seeking first God's kingdom and His righteousness, and they're obviously not. Have you ever met people, they think they're following Christ, and they clearly aren't. They think they've submitted their heart to God, and they clearly haven't. Have you, have you ever seen that? How do we know if we're seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness versus just wanting God to do our will and having that inverted relationship that we talked about earlier? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. This seems to be the key. Not to say, you know, add these things unto me as well. First, seek his kingdom and his righteousness. First, give up who we are to follow Christ. First, let it go. So many times, I've... Did you know I gave up coming to Cloquet to plant this church? Did you know I gave that up? I did. And then God said through people... How about you go plant a church in Cloquet and here's the financing to do it after I gave it up. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Put his kingdom first. Let our stuff go. And God gives us, adds to us, multiplies those things and gives them to us fixed and right. We give our family to God. Let it go. We give our finances to God and we let it go. And we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. doesn't matter what I want. Lord, what do you want? We have to humble our hearts before God. Seek his kingdom on earth and his ways. And then we start to receive things that don't fall apart. Start to receive things that are also on a firm foundation. And then we can have peace in our hearts. Let's pray again just for God to give us eyes to see. I don't want the light within me to be darkness. Amen? Why would I want to be self-deceived? Why would I want to look out at the world and not understand what's going on? I want to know. So we need the right eyes. Let's pray for that and then I'll invite people up for personal prayer. So Heavenly Father, I just pray, Lord, that you would help us as your word says here, the eye is the lamp of the body. I don't think you were putting that 
uh, you know, saying that and having that in the scriptures so that we could just feel bad for not having eyes that see right, but that there is a promise attached to that, that if we seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, that you will open our eyes and help us to see and have that light come into us where we can interpret things the right ways and not have a tainted understanding and not have darkness that spreads, but have light that spreads. And so, Lord, give us eyes to see. We humble ourselves before you. We release these things that compete with you. If money competes with you in our heart, we release it. If popularity and people's opinions compete with you, we release it. If our abilities and talents and accomplishments compete with you, we release those. And Lord, we seek you. Let your will be done. Let your kingdom come and give us eyes to see. Hallelujah. Father, I pray a blessing over each person in this place. Lord, I pray your peace would be upon us. Lord, your joy would be in us. And Lord, that we would know we are secure on your foundation so that we can share that glorious love and joy with this world. Lord, let it be. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.